three-way with Warren Beatty and Dustin Hoffman. Wait, am I Shira? No. <laughs> yeah. No. <laughs> okay, then you're Dustin Hoffman. Does that make <laughs> okay. it better? No, I mean, if anyone, I want to be Warren Beatty. <laughs> I don't want to be Warren Beatty. I want to be in him or the other way around. Whatever. No, no, no. Like, the only scenario in which I'm doing this is if I'm saying I had a three-way with Dustin Hoffman. That's what I'm saying. Oh, I'm the other side. Like, Dustin Hoffman is least welcome in the triangle. Maybe I just don't know Warren Beatty's career enough to want to brag about that. Bonnie and Clyde? Dick Tracy? I, you don't want to say that's, that you, like... Is he in I'm costume? sorry. You got fucked by Dick Tracy and Mumbles, and you're not proud of that? I, I Eiffel Towered abroad with is, fucking right. The French okay. girl is in, like, yeah. literally nothing is, else. Is he Is he wearing the watch, at least? Absolutely. Then okay. Yeah, then okay. and you can order pizza from it. <laughs> <laughs> Post-coital pizza. There are good movies and there are great movies, but that's not what we watch here because this is shitty cinema. Say shh and then say muck. We are three film masochists who love to take on the worst movies we can find, centered around our monthly theme to answer one simple question. Would you watch it again? I'm Jay and I'm joined by Dave. Hello. And Casey. How big am I? <laughs> Every week, one of us has to pick a movie based on that month's theme. What's this month's theme, Dave? Hey, it's July, it's summer, that means it's time for the biggest box office busters you can find. And this month, we're watching movies that busted out in the wrong way. Um, they completely busted the bank, their payroll... Uh, it's Block Blisters Month. We're looking for whoever lost the most they possibly can, because it's just fun to watch people fail, isn't it? Oh. <laughs> You're taking the fun out of it. Last week, I brought 2018's Robin Hood, uh, which with a budget of $100 million and a worldwide box office of $86 million, I, you know, it was a pretty big lo loss for the month. But, Casey, you brought something a little bit different for us this week. So, what did we watch? I've read rumor and legend of this film from 1987 starring Warren Beatty and Dustin Hoffman, Ishtar. I've read scathing reviews. People <laughs> were like, it's the worst movie. Be, be, be. And I got to be honest, I shocked myself this week. <laughs> Spoiler alert. They were all right. I was not expecting what I got. Correct. Nor was I. Well, we certainly got something on brief. 55 million budget and 14 million box office. And that's $87. So like roughly triple those numbers for now. Casey, if we're going to make sense out of why Ishtar is such a big loss, we're going to need you to give us an elevator pitch where you sell us on this movie in 10 seconds or less. Here's your setup. You were just given a canteen, a blind camel, and a compass, and told to wander in the desert for a few hours, and you'll most certainly arrive on an oasis. That checks out. Okay. Yeah. You can't get a DUI on a camel, so <laughs> who's winning? Unfortunately for you, you can't get a DUI on a camel, but you can speedrun dehydration. So in the 10 seconds before you realize you're totally fucked out in the desert, sell us on this movie. 
Tale as old as time, two foreigners bumble their way into saving a nation but can't avoid bombing an album. Hoffman and Beatty crawled so Farrell and Riley could walk. Nine seconds! And that was a very interesting historical claim there. Yeah, uh, yeah, you got a lot in there that I wasn't expecting out of it. Yeah, yeah, there was a right hook and then there was a, there was a left tickle. Let's have some fun with Ishtar and go over the movie that Shitty Cinema watched. That's in order, Dave. Warren Beatty and Dustin Hoffman play Lyle and Chuck, who dream of being singer-songwriters just like their heroes, Simon and Garfunkel. Yeah, except they can't sing at all. Which <laughs> checks out for, like, a little local band. Everybody's got that group somewhere in their hometown that is so obsessed with how they think they are that they can't actually hear themselves. Yeah, that's, that's our leads here, Chuck and Lyle. Yeah, that's fair. Okay. So the duo bombs an open mic night in New York, but manages to snag an agent. Why, you ask? Well, because he's got this great gig for them to book. It's just fantastic, right? It's, it's this wonderful lounge singer gig in Morocco. And when I think Simon and Garfunkel, I think of lounge singing in Marrakesh. Don't you, Dave? Um, You know, I don't really get <laughs> take this gig because political unrest ran the last performers out vibes off of Simon and Garfunkel, but to be fair, I don't really listen to that many live albums. Because they're so, spineless. Simon and Garfunkel, both both famously mouthpieces for the author, authoritarian governments. Yeah. Yeah. You know who ghost wrote for them? Ayn Rand. Nothing happened in Tiananmen Square. <laughs> You'll find nobody's buried there. I'm gonna like layer that, and I'm gonna make the Simon and Garfunkel version for you. Love it. Anyways, when they arrive in Morocco, Chuck is convinced to give his passport to a mysterious woman that claims her life is in danger. He's by convinced, like she shows him a tit, and he just hands it over. Man, pre nine eleven flights sound lit. Yeah, there was there was no rules back then. There was no a no titties clause in the Patriot Act that ruled it out. Some shenanigans ensue that separates Lyle, who heads to Marrakesh to perform, and Chuck, who stays in Ishtar. Chuck has a friendly meeting with the CIA and signs up to be a snitch. It's not just the CIA, it's the dad from Beethoven. That's true. <laughs> That's how I was like, uh, I know him, I know him. How do I, I know, know him? him? I trust him. Yeah! He's the CIA, don't trust him. All the CIA wants to know is if anyone is talking about, you know, things like freedom. Or rights, because the CIA wants to kill them just like they killed MLK. I don't think that was the CIA. Oh, right. That was mostly the FBI. Sorry. Yeah, CIA is outside. FBI's inside. <laughs> My bad. While Chuck is getting in bed with the CIA, Lyle has an encounter with the mysterious woman. She turns out to be Shira Assel, a wanted communist that is part of a group attempting to overthrow the emir and institute progressive social reforms. Shira's brother found a map that prophesied two messengers of God that would bring a social revolution, and everybody wants that map. The revolutionaries want it to show the people their cause is a righteous one, the emir wants it to show that those who claim to be on the side of God can't stand opposed to him, and the CIA wants it because they want the emir's help against Libya because Libya said Israel bad, Cuba good. Wow, the CIA real ha really hates being wrong. Just hates it. Now, the two songwriters are covertly working together for opposing sides. Which would be a problem, except for the fact that they're genuinely oblivious of what they've been roped into. Hell, Chuck even gets all pouty with Shira because she didn't try to recruit him to be a communist. 
I mean, it was a very horny kind of pouty. Yeah, it was a very yeah, horny pouty. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it was. I thought we um, had something. You showed me your titty in the airport. It was a hilarious take on that trope. Anyways, that's when Lyle is trying to find Shira by asking a camel salesman called Muhammad for a blind camel. Uh, unfortunately for the lounge singing duo, their fortune's about to get much, much worse, and there turns out to be more than one Muhammad in Ishtar. <laughs> what? Which just surprised everybody. No one would have expected that. The Amir decides they need to die, so the CIA tells Chuck of an oasis a few miles outside of Ishtar, and the revolutionaries decide they need to die, so they tell Lyle to head out into the desert and drop beads to find their way back in the dark. The singer-songwriters nearly die but are saved when they encounter gunrunners. They even further think they're saved after an American helicopter breaks up the gun sails. Yeah, until the helicopter comes back and starts shooting at them with a, like, rocket-launching attack helicopter. What? We would never shoot at American citizens, Waco. <laughs> yeah! It is at that point that the boys finally seem to figure out what I've known all along. The CIA is not your friend. Not really anybody's friend. Wait a minute. They always wish me happy birthday on Facebook every year. <laughs> Are you sure? Lyle and Chuck managed to find the map. At the airport, Shira had swapped jackets with Chuck, and the map was sewn onto the inside of the jacket. What? But, it's, yeah, but instead of just handing it over to one of the interested parties, Chuck and Lyle decide they're going to make a bold choice. Oh, yeah. They give it to their agent who blackmails the U.S. into two conditions. And they fucking accept. The first is funding, recording, and promoting Chuck and Lyle's live album for their lounge gig. Which we get a concert of. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But their agent is the only person that hasn't lied to them. Ish. Has lied the least <laughs> to them. <laughs> What a low uh, bar, okay? Yeah, I You're mean, not wrong, though. No. You're not wrong. So anyway, the CIA agrees to these conditions, and I laugh maniacally knowing that they'll never make it back because everyone is murdered off screen. That's your headcanon. None of them even say they're coming back. They're doing much better in Marrakesh than they were in the U.S. <laughs> yeah. They probably do not want to come back. What are they coming back to? Yeah. Right. What did they say? Good they point. were getting paid roughly a uh, hundred and fifty seventy-five bucks, bucks a, a week. Yeah. Seventy-five, 75 bucks a piece. Okay, so they're like old-timey digital nomads, basically. Yeah. Yeah. And broom and boards included. Yeah, it's and Chuck did get one hundred and fifty bucks from the uh, from the CIA. So they already made more money than this film probably did. Ah! Oh. Okay, okay. Let me, can I, before we dive into this being a block blister, can I just explain part of the reason why I think it was a fucking block blister? Yeah. You know what also came out in May 1987? No. Uh, no. Beverly Hills Cop 2. Do you know what else, <laughs> what else came out in May right before Ishtar? What? Lethal fucking weapon. Okay. Oh, wow. Yeah, I mean, okay. It got stuck movies. between two huge, um, I think Nightmare on Elm Street 3 or 2 came out like the month before. La Bamba came out after. The, like, that was a big fucking year. It was. Wow. Okay. So I okay. guess this is, this is a jumping off point. Would you say this is competing with Lethal Weapon or Beverly Hills Cop 2? Yeah. Yes. 
I yeah. Beverly Hills Cop 2 for sure. Definitely Beverly Hills Cop 2, I think, in that they're both kind of they're comedies, I guess. Lethal Weapon, I'm going to say yes because it was competing with you could sell pictures with names. And you have Warren Beatty and Dustin fucking Hoffman. Mm. Warren Beatty could do anything. Okay, I I think that the sense that it could compete with Lethal Weapon, there are different genres of movies. Yes. Ishtar is clearly a comedy, and, and Lethal Weapon is, I think, more of an action comedy. Um, and so, you know, there's there's some overlap there. But I uh, I think that, you know, I, I think also it's Also, it's the unlikely. 80s. You don't have shit to do, so you just Fair. go to the movies every fucking weekend. Right. And obviously, if you're casting a comedy, one of the first ones you're going to go to is the star of The Graduate and Rain Man, Dustin Hoffman. <laughs> Right. Um. Also, Tootsie. Ever fucking heard yeah, of Tootsie. it? Come on. Yeah. Dustin Hoffman has Which a also big got comedy career yes. too. Do you think that either Dustin Hoffman or Warren Beatty did bad as a, as comedic actors in this? I was just. I have never seen a movie in which I was so confused that it wasn't a Steve Martin Martin short film. <laughs> it does have a Steve Martin like the jerk vibe. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. yeah. It, is, sure. it, it is just. It is a buddy duo comedy film that like neither of these guys I'm really seeing I I both of them could play the straight man really well <laughs> right yeah yeah but neither of them had the chops to be the other side of it disagree I yeah, felt I, this I felt like this was very reminiscent really? of like I said John C Riley and Will Farrell it I, felt I, like that team up of they had good chemistry together you could tell they genuinely have fun working together Warren Beatty was the perfect himbo. The scene when his room gets broken into by Shira Asal and he rolls on the ground and he waits for her to come over and he gets her in a hole. He's got her on the ground and she kisses him and he's like, now, wait a minute. You got you can't just go breaking into places, kissing grown men, thinking that she's a young boy. Also punches her in the throat. They committed to that. And I fucking <laughs> died laughing. Face. In the face. I thought he punched her in the throat. No. Nah, nah, okay, right punched in her in the face. And he's like, I went easy on you because you're a boy. And just like <laughs> keeps going on and on. Like I was, until they're on the ground and he's literally groping her titties for about 35 seconds straight while she's trying to talk. He's like, wait, are these breasts? <laughs> and she's explaining every like all of the the trauma that her family is going to and is finally like, chill out. They're boobs. <laughs> like I thought it was fantastic. He was perfect. He was absolutely perfect. Yeah, and he's uh, he's supposed to be a country boy, and and in fact, he points out to Shira Assel that, oh, what you think I'm just a dumb hick? Um, which you know the the point he's is that an he's kind ice of supposed cream to driver. be driver, like in he's that. an innocent dude. He is fired from a lot of jobs. They imply because he's bad at work because he's too busy trying to write songs. Yeah. Then and the only one of those we see is an ice cream truck, which is one of right. the like three to four actual laughs this movie got out of me genuinely when he's driving down the truck, <laughs> when he's driving the truck down the street, ringing the ice cream bell, ignoring the like half dozen children yeah. screaming <laughs> profanities at him that want to purchase ice cream. I love that, too, because that looks like fun. I want to try that. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Like, I, that was my first thought. It was like, can I just get an ice cream truck to torment children with? <laughs> and now I have that on recording forever. Cool. 
How long have I known Dave? Long enough to hear him say this all the time. <laughs> Wait, you pressed one button. That was just ready? It's on my keychain. <laughs> you said the ice cream truck was one of your only genuine laughs, Dave? Like actual, like full on crack up reactions. Yeah. Yeah. There weren't many in this movie. I, it had a lot of really good ideas for comedic sequences. Um, it, it was it was hit or miss on how well it landed the punchlines and it tended to then keep going with the jokes. It's definitely corny at times and it's unclear whether that's an intentional corniness or if somebody thought they were being clever and was more of a Chuck and Lyle. Yeah, I and I was I was really, really confused and heartbroken, actually, because this movie was directed and written by Elaine May. Um, she also wrote The Birdcage, which I absolutely love. It is one of the funniest yes. goddamn movies. Yeah. I thought this was fucking hilarious. I thought it was clever. I loved all of the songs. All of the awkwardness felt very real. Yeah. Like when they're trying to write the song in the very opening credits of yeah. telling the truth is dangerous. Bit, and they're going through all the iterations of the songs. It really felt like the mental process. It it sounded and felt so natural. All of their performances, especially before they make it to Ishtar, of them doing open mic nights, just they're so painfully awkward. And yes. everyone in the audience looks genuinely uncomfortable and upset. <laughs> and I think it is perfect. It is absolutely perfect. Case, do you know why those tracks are so good? Why? So they actually hired a songwriter to write tracks intentionally bad. And the guy was like, it was a lot of work, but it's some of the most fun I've ever had. Oh, yeah. What was, was his intentionally, name? I can't, I can't remember what his name was. But he got to intentionally write these bad songs. And then they actually gave like a couple of weeks to Warren Beatty and Dustin Hoffman to, to practice them so that they could perform them, which is why they're fucking gems. I they like were musicals. spot on. They but, were perfect. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So was, was Warren Beatty really playing the piano? I don't know. I don't know about that. But he was okay. really singing. Yeah, singing. no, you could tell it was really them singing. singing. <laughs> yeah. And I loved it. Yeah. Um, yes. Yeah. Okay. So he's actually in the credits. It's Paul Williams, who was a songwriter back in uh, the 1970s. He wrote a bunch of really famous tracks for like the Carpenters and Three Dog Nights. Oh, my yeah. God. And yeah. apparently he yeah. was hired to sit down with the director, writer, Elaine May, and just write some just absolutely terrible songs for them. And they are really, really incredibly bad. And incredibly bad. <laughs> if I have one complaint with that whole sequence of them uh, at the beginning of the film when they're auditioning places in New York, it's that their performances and the audience re reaction is so bad that it's almost unbelievable that they're unaware how bad they are. Like, it is Wes Andersonian levels of awkward and cringe in these scenes. Yes! But I, in I, a really I... natural way. I disagree. I've known those people that were musicians that were just quote unquote musicians that made quote unquote music that was so fucking bad. And everyone was like, how does anybody? And they thought they were the fucking shit. I love going to see those. 
I the, honestly, that's why I love a dive bar is to go there. Fair, fair, and just be like, shine on you, crazy diamond. Although I have to give them some credit because I think in the attempt of writing some terrible lyrics, they accidentally stumbled backwards into some. I don't want to say good <laughs> lyrics, but I had to specifically. It's it's not good. I but I yes. had to write down one of the lyrics in this uh, from their end concert. Oh, I love yeah. their end concert. Yeah. And the lyric I had to write down was, I can see her standing in the backyard of my mind. She cracks <laughs> yeah. her knuckles yeah. Yeah. and the scab that's on her knee uh, won't me. go away. Yeah. Yeah. Now, that's yeah. not a good lyric, but I can absolutely in my brain hear some hipster ass band play, singing that. That sounds like something that Death Cab for Cutie would have. And I would cry to it. Yes. If Ben Gibbard sings that to me, I'm like, yeah, that scab's never going to heal. It's a metaphor. What about the anniversary song that Dustin Hoffman performs that's I'm leaving (laughs) some love in my will to the elderly couple? At the beginning of the movie where it's showing Dustin Hoffman performing at like this really terrible Italian (laughs) restaurant. He dedicates a song to a couple celebrating like their 60th anniversary. 53rd or wedding anniversary. 53rd. He said, yeah. you know, I, I met them last year on their 52nd. I said if they made it to their 53rd, I'd have this song for them. And then it just goes on about how one of them has to die first. So they're leaving <laughs> some extra love in their will for you since you're alone forever now. Absolute gem. The reaction. Yes. Also, again, all of their side (laughs) actors, like, they left no stone under. The background actors were fucking great in this. And, Dave, to your point, at the end of that, he bitches about why everyone booed at him and then blames it on the waiter. The waiter was awful. I can't imagine. Like, obviously hammered. (laughs) I've never fallen that much at work sober. Uh, but yeah, I did. I really liked some of the background actors and especially some of the when they were really nailing the comedy vibe. It wasn't necessarily coming from the two of them. It was the scenes that they were building during the concert at the end of it. Uh, uh, during the concert at the end when the CIA is bankrolling all of this. So they pack in their concert with a whole bunch of Navy people that are being <laughs> ordered. There's a there's a guy standing off to the side ordering them applaud. Applaud. <laughs> and like, is that showing up on the live album? I hope so. I God, really I hope, hope so. so. Right? It also gives some great moments because uh, the guy that plays Jim, the CIA agent, has a ton of fun with the concert talking to the general. He's like, oh, I think this one, that one's going to be the single. That's it. Oh, yeah. Jim, <laughs> Jim killed it yeah. for me. Yeah. Jim, Jim nailed it everything he chewed the scenery i yes, thought he everything he did was fantastic it's the dad from beethoven it is yeah, it is and as this like slimy cia agent he perfectly nailed every line he was in i when he admits to dustin hoffman that he had bugged him and, <laughs> and then hands him another beeper and lies to him that like oh no it'll only work at short range it was just so perfect in delivery and the scene at the end of the movie when he's furiously answering phones trying to explain yes. that no we didn't shoot oh at americans God, in yeah. the desert no we didn't right. bankroll no, we a would... live album for lounge singers in marrakesh it's the funniest goddamn moment of the movie for me 
Jim, the CIA guy, also had a great part where he's in the market in, I think, Ishtar, just before they leave into the desert, and he's pretending to buy a camel. Yeah, the blind camel that... The blind they, camel. ...that they ride into the desert in search of an oasis. For whatever reason, they wander out into the desert. Both their plans suck, but we gotta get them out there f- somehow, because that's where the gun running and helicopter fights are at. And- <laughs> And I think we definitely needed those at this point of the film. The gun running was an interesting fish out of water where Dustin Hoffman pretends to know a bunch of languages he doesn't and auction off firearms to them. Yeah. It the, was really sensitive to everyone's culture. They, they, <laughs> I'm sure. So here's, here's the setup. They stumble on these gun runners in the middle of the desert and they grab Dustin Hoffman thinking he's an interpreter that's been sent to them because they have a whole bunch of these different uh, indigenous tribes that all speak different dialects, but not Arabic. And they need someone who can translate between them. So Dustin Hoffman Uh, pretends to be a translator who speaks English and their individual dialects, but not Arabic. Uh, And then Dustin Kaufman. Dustin Kaufman. That's you. That's That's your fucking stripper name. We've heard your podcast. But then Dustin Hoffman of Midnight Cowboy and Lenny proceeds to translate by just doing the most insane, like Adam Sandler screams. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, he does a lot of yeah yeah yaying. Yeah. He Kareem Abdul Jabbar's. Yeah, yeah, I heard that name. Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> he just he just repeats the name Kareem Abdul Jabbar while pointing at people, which like the English speaking people would have picked up on that at least, right? You would think so. Listen, I need to talk about the bromance between Dustin Hoffman and Warren Beatty because. I loved it. They took the time to develop the story of how they met, how they became friends, and how their relationship grew, and how they were just fucking two dudes that were there for each other in the worst time of their life. Dustin Hoffman tries to jump off a building, and his parents don't make it any better. And some of you have that relationship with your parents and can relate. The last thing I want is my mom like crying out a window at me or being like, Oh my God! You know who else did this? So-and-so's daughter. Warren Beatty got out there on the fucking ledge with him and brought him back in. I loved that. And Dustin Hoffman was there for Warren Beatty through his divorce. That's true. I actually really love the scene where um, where they're out on the ledge because the there's that part where Warren Beatty reaches his hand out and Dustin Hoffman grabs it and he spins into his chest. And then, like stares Dustin Hoffman stares into Warren Beatty's eyes and is so serious about it and there's a couple yes. of points where Warren Beatty cracks a little bit because yes Dustin Hoffman is just like romantically giving him the eyeballs and it is fucking fantastic it's so overdone and melodramatic that it works for me I laughed yeah I mean, Dustin Hoffman's so good of course it's fuck a death of a salesman it's Dustin right. Hoffman doing a suicide scene it's gonna be fucking incredible <laughs> but and a then, cheesy right. suicide yeah. scene but then we're gonna go crack moroccan lounge singer jokes what about the spies like us bit where warren Beatty and uh dustin hoffman are in the market and they're getting followed by a bunch of different spies who are all dressed as a different nationality right the americans are, are walking around in fezes and you've got the kgb dressed as the arabs but the arabs are dressed as the texans and the turkish are in bermuda shirts and the guys in Hawaiian shirts are actually tourists. 
I okay, that was a good joke, and I especially liked <laughs> the Hawaiian shirts are actually tourists. Yes, that was a great way to end it, right? and I almost considered wearing a Hawaiian shirt to the podcast tonight just for that. Yeah, you should have. I really should have. Oh, where's your sense of decorum? Yeah, you should have. Um, another one of the jokes that kind of went on a little too long, and I would have liked if we gotten to see more of them. Most of this we're just getting uh, uh, as the CIA agent telling it to us. Which That's is funny, true. but I really wanted to see the Arabs dressed as Texans. I know! <laughs> so badly! They didn't show that? No. No, we didn't get to see no. the Arabs dressed as Texans. I uh, think you get to see, like, one kind of in a background shot, but they never... Yeah, I it would have been yeah, cool I want, if they would have cut to right, it. I wanted, cut to it. Right, cut I, to it. I wanted to cut to each of these as we were talking about them, see them on their microphones talking about the CIA guys. You right, know, right. Had a little more fun with it. Um, the one that really worked for me in terms of, like, we're just going to do spies like us was uh, <laughs> the scene when Warren Beatty leaves the hotel, uh, followed by Dustin Hoffman. So they're immediately followed by two Americans in fesses who are immediately followed by three beggars who are immediately followed by like every car on the street. <laughs> and Warren Beatty stops and doubles back and everybody starts bumping into each other's and the cars stop and reverse. It's a it fucking great comedy shit. sequence. I love it. This movie was non-stop barrage of jokes but not in a bad way like frankenstein general hospital <laughs> and kind of like frankenstein general hospital it's that same type of humor where there's also always something going on in the background as well like nine times out of ten scenes if it's a wider shot it's because there's something happening in the background that you should be paying attention to because it's fucking hilarious Listen, I'm not going to wander all night like a blind camel in the desert. I want to know, David, yeah, you first, 1987's Ishtar, this week's block blister, would you watch it again? Man, I, I also read a lot about this movie before I watched it, um, and there's there's reviews on both sides of the aisle, and now that I've watched it, I totally get it. Holy shit, is this movie confused at times. There's this whole Indiana Jones thing they do at the beginning, setting up the map, and then that doesn't happen ever again. Um, <laughs> most of it, like I said, is like a Steve Martin, Martin short comedy, but starring goddamn Wag the Dog, Dustin Hoffman. And it's really, really confusing and back and forth between these like almost dramatic sequences and then kind of borderline slapstick comedy. I can't necessarily say that I enjoyed it, but I think I do want to watch it again still. Ooh. There's just so much going on in this. I need to give it another pass. And I think some of these jokes are going to work better on a second pass. And also, I think I successfully managed to reference all of Dustin Hoffman's Oscar nominations, which was a goal for tonight. Wow. Well done, Dave. I'm going to edit all of I was, them out. Yeah, I was. it was... <laughs> The wag the dog, I had to just point and put in there for no reason, whatever. But it was the only one left. But yeah, I'm I'm going to watch Ishtar again. I'm going to give it another pass. Jay, what about you? From 1987, starring Dick Tracy and Dustin Hoffman. Ishtar, would you watch it again? I was really taken aback by Ishtar. I expected it to be much, much worse. And when I watched it, I wasn't sure initially if I was laughing so hard at the jokes or the movie or the awkwardness, or what. But honestly, I haven't had this much fun with a movie in a long time. I am really overjoyed. Like, I had a blast with Ishtar. I thought it was funny. 
I like the messaging. I think they do a pretty good job of being critical in it. I enjoy the terrible campiness. The concert at the end, which is like 15 minutes long, is fucking hilarious. The songs are fun. And I just want to say that it gave me this gem that I'm going to close on. So, Casey, this one's for you. She said, come and look. There's a wardrobe in my eyes. Come and see if there's something your size. And I will be singing to that to you when we watch Ishtar again. So, yes, so yes, yes, yes. I'm so sorry, Casey. Hey, <laughs> okay, so if you vote no, then it doesn't happen. <laughs> but, Casey, <Wow>. this <laughs> was a child that you campaigned for. You successfully got onto the podcast. And we got to know, Ishtar, would you watch it again? I put in the work. I have been dropping hints about Ishtar for about six months to a year. I've been interested <laughs> in this movie. Kind of read a lot of negative reviews. Did not read a positive one. Um, and honestly, I think everybody's dead ass wrong. I laugh my ass off start <laughs> to finish. I thought this was witty. I thought it was dumb. I thought the music was I'm not kidding you, is perfect. It is the perfect amount of awkward and real. And I love every fucking second of it. Almost as much as I loved watching interviews about this movie, like promotional interviews. Also, terribly awkward. You can tell that their on-screen chemistry is the same as their off between Dustin Hoffman and Warren Beatty. But yeah, I would 100% watch this again, and I'm going to watch this again soon. I'm going to make someone watch this with me and slowly turn people onto the Ishtar train because <laughs> it's a fucking gem, and everybody has slept on this film. Fair. So that's the verdict. Three out of three of us would watch Ishtar again. Two out of three of us are going to get nasty to half of its soundtrack tonight, and the results may surprise you. Yeah. But we have to move on. Dave, you had a little suggestive poo for next week. What are you going to close out our season with as we end this block blister month and take a break to let this heal before we put our foot in a jelly again? Oh, sweet God, I didn't realize this was the end of the season. I just saw this on a list of biggest flops of all time and went, oh yeah, I watched that. That sucked. We should just throw <laughs> that in. So we're going to be watching a... Uh, uh, a movie based off of a book that came out in 2018 about a steampunk London on train tracks called Mortal Engines. I, I, it's it's going to make more <laughs> sense. I promise. I don't think I want it to. Well, we'll just have to see if we can keep the train on the tracks next week. In the meantime, follow us on Instagram at Casey.Cinema. Like us on Facebook, sh.ttycinema. Throw some change in our guitar box if you wanna at Patreon slash Shitty Cinema or PeepShittyCinema.com. Check the show notes for those links. And in the meantime, let's turn off the lights. Find a blind camel. And always check every coat you switch with a hobo. Always. Huh?